L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Michael the Pod Pina, an NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, and I have a very special surprise in the form of some very special news. Uh, last week, Chris Herring, uh, my colleague at SI, made his Open Floor debut as uh, my Thursday co-host, and you can hear the two of us every week throughout the playoffs right here, of course. But just as exciting, uh, on Mondays, I will have a different new co-host. He's another genuine basketball genius, one of the most talented writers and most beautiful people alive, my Sports Illustrated colleague and fellow Jimmy Butler Stan, the great Rohan Nadkarni. Rohan, welcome to Open Floor. Please introduce yourself to the people. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Michael. Um, I'm really excited to be doing the show with you. I feel like it would be crazy if I didn't acknowledge the outstanding work you've done on this podcast, the outstanding work my old, my old colleagues Ben Golliver and Andrew Sharp have done. I understand that there are a lot of devoted Open Floor fans, and rightfully so. This is a mega popular podcast, so I'm, I'm humbly taking the co-host chair today. And <laughs> I just, you know, I understand that people take this podcast seriously. It's for a lot of people where they get their basketball news from. I'm just going to do my best. I know I can't replace those who sat in this chair before me, uh, but hopefully we can still have a lot of fun here. Ton of pressure. Um, no, I'm just, just be yourself. You're great. You're amazing. You're going to do wonderful. Um, open Floor Globe, embrace Rohan. He's wonderful. He's really smart. Um, we have a lot to get to on today's show, uh, including tons of, of wonderful questions emailed um, in from you guys, our listeners. Um, but first, Rohan, we got to react to the opening weekend slate of Game 1s. Uh, basically, in my opinion, every game was good, at least. Like, yes. that's, that's the low yes. bar for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, John ja Morant continued to take the league by storm last night against the Jazz. Um, my beloved Rob Williams officially turned into Bill Russell. That was really <laughs> awesome to see. Uh, Hawks Knicks yesterday was a religious experience. Uh, but I want to start with arguably the most intriguing series out West, where LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers now trail uh, 0-1 to Devin Booker's Phoenix Suns. And my question to kick it off to you, Rohan, is just it's a slightly weird one. But given Chris Paul's shoulder injury, where, you know, he went down early in that game and said afterwards, I think that he heard a crack in his elbow. So that's just like not that that's not good news and um, did not play particularly well after returning from the shoulder injury. Um, but, you know, the Lakers were the team that lost the game. So it, it, like who should be more concerned after game one between these two teams, Rohan? 
So the the crack thing was weird. I don't know about you, but every time I watched that replay, I was like, "What happened? <laughs> Tell me how he got hurt exactly." And <laughs> no way am I saying that Chris Paul's dogging it. But every time I watch the replay, I don't quite understand the injury. I don't understand what could have cracked there, unless it was his collarbone or something like that. I mean, maybe it was. Who knows? I, I bet this is one of those injuries where we won't find out how severe it is until after the playoffs. But I think the Lakers have to be more concerned, if only because we just saw them lose to Chris Paul with one arm. He mm-hmm. played most of that game. He looked like he could not dribble. He was clearly had no no desire to shoot. The only time he shot uh, really was when he kind of had to. He, and even then, I mean, most of them he left, you know, in front of the rim, etc. So... Just based off the off the strength of the Suns already winning that game with one armed Chris Paul and the Lakers being down one zero, I think they kind of have to be the team in more trouble. Interesting. I I kind of feel you know if Chris Paul looks like he did after he came back from that injury for the rest of the series, I I mean I. I don't think that Phoenix, you know, I don't want to say they don't have a chance, but there was a lot of stuff in that game one where, like, you look at what the Lakers did and you're just kind of like, oh, the Lakers can make an adjustment here. The Lakers can tweak their lineup here. The Lakers can um, post LeBron James more than four times in the entire basketball game, which I feel like, you know, there's this saying that, like, the playoff series do not begin until the road team wins. And I think it should change to playoff series don't begin until LeBron James decides he wants to post up on the block repeatedly. That's, like, how I feel um, about this Lakers team because, you know, offensively, really struggled. Their offensive rating in game one was 97.8, which is atrocious. And they, I don't think they got below that number throughout the entire regular season in games that LeBron played in. So it was pretty abnormal. Um, I will say like, you know, Anthony Davis was just, you know, he was terrible in game one. Um, and usually when he has performances like this, he bounces back in a big way. And I, I almost expect him to drop a 50 ball in game two. <laughs> but I look at the rotation that Frank Vogel has going and, you know, a lot of people have been texting me just like casual fans and people around the league. Just, you know, the Andre Drummond situation is it's getting a little dire. I mean, he played <laughs> 19 minutes beside Anthony Davis in this game. I mean, I think that was all of his minutes. LA's offensive rating was 102 in that time. Just like really rough stuff. So, <laughs> like, if they I, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say, like, if if you're tr- if you're the Lakers and you're trying to feel optimistic, it's like okay. Let's just not play Andre Drummond, who did not play a single second in the fourth quarter. Uh, Your boy, Alex Caruso, played the entire (laughs) fourth quarter. And I think that they may want to start Caruso. I tweeted this. um, But they may want to start Caruso either in game two or game three. I don't know. Like, the front court rotation is just so strange. Are you feeling confident um, in, like, the Lakers making these adjustments and them having an impact run? I, I am only because this is something that we would ask Frank Vogel about almost after almost every game last year, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you guys really looked better out there with AD at the five. I, I think it's obvious that the Lakers made some combination of a promise to Andre Drummond that he's going to start if they sign here and some kind of promise to Anthony Davis that we're not going to play you at center every single game. Even though for two years running now, that's when they've looked their best. I mean, even last year in the finals, you know, I think the Heat were so decimated that the Lakers had such a big margin of error that they could start Dwight, uh, they could start a center. And then you see them in in game six, they're like, okay, fine, like, we're just going to put AD at the five. And then they go, you know, Death Star in that game. Mm -hmm. I don't know what is holding them back. I I think it's, I don't think it's as simple as Frank Vogel doesn't know what he's doing because I think he's proven to have made pretty good adjustments and you know for what it's worth they did have moments during their playoff run last year where having a center did help them they know they know they know when this team is at their best it's the lowest hanging fruit and I think AD uh, this happened in that Warriors game too he kind of gets off to a slow start in the playing game and then you know fans get upset AD's not playing well etc 
I just don't think they're putting him in a position to succeed at the start of these games by making him play next to Drummond. He just gets such better looks when he's playing center. Why not put him in a position to get in his rhythm earlier in the game? I, I, I'm confident that Vogel will make the adjustment because I think he's, if anything he's shown over the last couple of years, it's a willingness to adjust his rotation, you know, ride the hot hand, find the veteran who has it. If there's a worry I have for the Lakers, you know, their three-point shooting was bad in game one. I think we have some reason to believe it'll be a little bit better in game two. But this team is, since LeBron has gotten there, has still never really had great shooters on it. And I, I think if if I there's one worry I have for them moving forward, it's even when you do move 80 at the five, Caruso is my boy, and I do think he should play more. <laughs> uh, the, the shooting, I think, has to be a little bit of a concern because for lack of a better phrase, like it was a little fluky in the bubble. I mean, spot on. I I totally agree with you. And I've been saying this for a while now. Now I picked against the Lakers in every series uh, (laughs) last season. I want to say maybe I picked, I can't remember if I picked them against the Nuggets, but let's just say for the sake of this discussion that yes, I picked against the Lakers in every series um, last year. And part of that was because of, you know, I, I had some doubts about AD, particularly playing the four, particularly in half court settings where, you know, their offense was not very efficient throughout the regular season. And they don't have a ton of spacers, as you said, Rohan. Um, and I look at this year's team, and it's just a bunch of the same. But this year's team was constructed with such investment at the center position in guys who are not Anthony Davis. So like I look at Montrez Harrell, who's, you know, he looks okay when he's out there, but he's just not getting any minutes. There's like no opportunity for him to establish any sort of rhythm whatsoever. I don't anticipate him playing over 20 minutes in any of these games, um, which is a big bummer for him because he gave up a lot of money to be in this situation. Uh, We just addressed Andre Drummond, who uh, played as many minutes as Kyle Kuzma in this one, which is pretty um, interesting. And, if, you know, if I'm Marcus Saul, by the way, who started the season at the five for the for the Lakers in units that were really dominant on both ends, I would just be stewing. Like, what is going on? Why I think can't he, I, I think play? He is. I think he's more than <laughs> stewing. I think he's I think he's been pretty publicly uh, vocal yeah. about his displeasure at the rotation. Uh, I, I Listen, I... I do have some sympathy for Frank Vogel, who is managing more than just egos, but high-powered agents and high-powered players, etc. I I think it's a more difficult job than he's been given credit for to kind of keep a lid on things there. But we're starting to see it a little bit this year. I mean, you know, there was a game or two where Montrez was held held out of the rotation. He was kind of just like, Mm -hmm. hey, man, I don't make the decisions. Gasol has been you know, thinly veiled with his displeasure at the rotation. And you're right. Their original starting five, the one that we kind of all thought was going to be really, really good when they made the moves they made in the offseason, was playing incredibly well. The Lakers maybe did a little bit too much tinkering, you could even argue, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, during the regular season. Because when they were starting Gasol and everyone was healthy, they were playing incredibly, incredibly well. I mean, that that was when LeBron looked like he was going to win MVP, etc., I, I just don't understand why they start every playoff series or have started every playoff series the last couple of years behind the eight ball a little bit. And it's it's almost like a stubbornness, like, let's see if this works as we know how good we are when we actually play our best five players at once. But if we can get away with this, then why not? I I, I don't understand why they why they decide to go that route. Right. The idea is, you know, we are going to be humongous. Like, we're going to play LeBron, who, for all intents and purposes, is a four. Like, we're going to play LeBron at the three. You have no one who can guard him and AD, plus a five who should be dominating on the glass. Um, And our defense is just going to be humongous. We're going to be physically, you know, we're going to physically overpower you on both ends in the paint. But, like, I just don't think that Drummond is that guy. And particularly, like, in the full court, in full court action, he just doesn't run the floor at all. And that's problematic for obvious reasons when you see, you know, fast break opportunities where the Suns are just getting buckets and he's out of the the camera frame entirely, um, which happened a bunch of times 
in game one that I noticed. Um, but I want to, you know, I, I think Phoenix Suns fans are probably screaming at us right now for not giving credit to uh, their team and how well they played. DeAndre Ayton was a total beast in this game. Um, I thought their defensive uh, strategy was on point, And Devin Booker basically played the entire game and was absolutely lights out despite all the attention um, that he received from the best defense in the NBA. So, Rohan, you actually wrote a piece, um, uh, today's daily cover, actually, on SI.com that everyone can go check out about the Suns. You spoke to James Jones. Um, what are your thoughts about Phoenix right now in this series? What are your thoughts more broadly about the Suns, just, you know, their ceiling with this unit? Um, just what's your feel? I mean, I'm I'm happy for them. Certainly, it's crazy to think that it was only a couple of years ago when the only thing people were talking about the Suns was like a bunch of goats pooped in Ryan McDonough's office. Like that was <laughs> that was like their only like representation in the national conversation uh, for 2015 to 2019. They never won more than 25 games in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were wondering if Devin Booker was ever going to be someone more than just a scorer on a bad team, and. You know, I don't think James Jones himself would say, I deserve all the credit. That certainly was not what he was saying to me when we spoke. But I thought he made a great point, which was, you know, a lot of teams want to be great. A lot, you know, we talk about ceilings all the time, but I had to raise the floor. And you think about a lot of the moves he made that first summer that I think a lot of us, just because it was the Suns, kind of had our eyebrows raised. You know, he didn't hit every move out of the park. He kind of dumped away TJ Warren, which ended up being a mistake. But, you know bringing in a Dario Sarge, taking a chance on Cameron Johnson in the draft, um, mm-hmm. you know, revitalizing a guy like campaign's career, even just, you know, firing their old coach, bringing in Monty Williams, a guy who's respected around the league. All those moves, A, I think laid the groundwork for what they did in the bubble last year when they went 8-0 and just actually had competent guys on the floor. <laughs> you know, having a point guard like Ricky Rubio, who's like, by 10 degrees, the best point guard Devin Booker had ever played with at that point. Um, that made it an attractive destination for Chris Paul. And, mm-hmm. you know, those those go hand in hand. They got lucky. A superstar was on the market. And they've really taken off. You know, this is so tough because they are playing the Lakers in the first round that I do think they kind of have what it takes to make a deep playoff run. It's just is, it's almost like they're either going to get out in the first round or make it to the finals uh that's just the kind of vibe i have with this team the west is so wide open this year but i think james jones has like genuinely done a great job and it's it's funny to hear a gm say you know we actually had to raise the floor first like we weren't trying to hit home runs we we needed to we just needed to get some actual nba players in here so now those who are listening who don't know um you are a humongous Miami Heat fan, correct, Rohan? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, what am I? I can't be like. Well, actually, I mean, listen, I think I bring a pretty healthy perspective to my job. Uh-huh. Uh, but yes, I, I grew up in South Florida and w- am a longtime supporter of the Miami Heat. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out for you know the James Jones. GM of the year vibes I was getting from you. I just wanted to to, to clarify where exactly they might have been been based <laughs> out did. of. He was like, he was like, you have a nine five four area code, and I was like, I'm never giving it up. And he's like, I've had the same phone number since 1998. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, listen, man, I was one of those people tweeting about how Spo needed to get you in the game more. The lineup stats said we were killing it when you were on the floor. He's like, I appreciate that. So yes, and did it come up? Yeah, it came up. Just incredible. Well, that, this is a perfect opportunity for us to transition to uh, a, a series that I think a lot of people were looking forward to, for sure. Um, the Miami Heat versus the Milwaukee Bucks, a rematch of last year's second round upset. Uh, they kind of launched Miami to the finals. Uh, you, you know, this has been covered. You are um, a a fan of this organization, the Miami Heat. Just what is <laughs> You're your really hammering this? Oh man, we just gotta yeah, we just gotta get it out there. Um, what is your personal uh, like concern meter right now, coming off of Game One's overtime loss on a scale of one to ten? I mean, my personal concern is relatively low, only because I I expected the Bucks to win this series pretty handily. I mean, in terms of 
listen, I feel like a lot of what we say today has to be couched in what did this team do at the three-point line and it was only game one. So, yep. you know, I, I hesitate to draw big conclusions from one game. We know Spo is going to make adjustments. I'm sure Bud has adjustments that he can go to, uh, similar to Frank Vogel, if he ever stops getting obsessed with playing his centers. I, I think if the Heat, you know... The the positive spin is Bam and Jimmy aren't going to shoot that poorly again. Bam is going to be more aggressive. At the same time, are you going to get that kind of Duncan Robinson game again? Are you going to get that kind of Dragic game again? Are you going to shoot from three that well again at any other point in the playoffs, let alone the series? So, you know, it just depends if you want to be glass half full, glass half five. So in which case, I guess I'll go with my concern as a five because I can I can ratchet it up and say these things won't happen again. Or I can ratchet it down and say okay, Jimmy and Bam just can't play that poorly in the same game again in a series. Uh, they've both, in fact, been on a run of, of really good playoff games, and, and this is their first kind of stinker in a while. So I, I would put it at a five, but I, I honestly thought the Bucks were going to win this series headed in. So I, if anything, I was surprised at, at the fact that Miami had a chance to steal that game one. I think you picked over on SI.com your prediction was – uh, Bucks and five, I believe, which really surprised me. Um, I I came into the to the playoffs kind of viewing this one as a toss up, just because I have so much respect for Jimmy, I have so much respect for Bam. I think Spo is the best head coach in the entire NBA. And you look at game one, and as you said, like the Heat shot twenty for fifty from behind the three point line, which like. If you take 53s and you shoot 40% and you lose in overtime, that's just, I don't know if that has ever happened in NBA <laughs> history, particularly when the team that defeated you, they go five for 31. Like, wild stuff. Um, and obviously, this game could have gone either way. Um, but, you know, one of the more interesting parts about this entire series and. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks in general is just how they deploy Brooke Lopez, um, <laughs> particularly against, you know, like defensively, the drop coverage is has been successful over the past three seasons for the Bucks for sure. You watch um, game one and, you know, there's a couple early situations where Duncan gets free because Brooke, Lo Brooke Lopez is in the paint and completely helpless to defend a DHO with Bam or, um, yeah, just a pitch with, with Jimmy, something like that, to get Duncan wide open. And then, like, I was expecting, I mean, we, we probably will still see this throughout the playoffs at some point, assuming that Milwaukee advances, but I, I, I assume that P.J. Tucker was going to be closing at the five slash the four in lineups that were pretty small with Giannis and Middleton and Drew and then a, another small, but we didn't really get that at all, which I found to be fascinating given that Milwaukee was still able to eke out the victory. And I actually wrote in my notebook um, early in the first quarter, like, Brooke Lopez needs to justify being on the court because Brooke he was Lopez, doing. <laughs> Brooke Lopez just keeps dropping and dropping. Like Bam's at the Bam's at you know at the the half circle. Brooke Lopez still dropping. Just you know, I feel like he's going to end up in the concourse on some of these defensive possessions. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, people are so scared of him at the rim. Apparently, still that he doesn't even have to play defense. It's the illusion of him in the paint that at this point is doing more than he himself. And th that's another reason why I think the Bucks are going to win this series is they have that ace in the hole where if they went small and they did play mm -hmm. P.J. Tucker, like I think we both expected. I spoke to P.J. Tucker before the playoffs. I think he expected that. I, you know, I think he intimated to me that he'd had conversations that that's how they planned on deploying him in the playoffs. I was pretty surprised to not you know, see that lineup in any significant fashion, like you said, with PJ at the four slash five and Giannis in the front court with him. I just think if the Bucks committed to going to that ace in the hole, I don't think Miami would have an answer for that. And I understand that the Bucks, they don't play that way all year round. You know, they might not necessarily have the habits. Coaches love talking about habits, but it's pretty, again, shocking to me that it feels like they're playing with one hand tied behind their back sometimes by not going to this 
you know, very obvious lineup that would present Miami with all sorts of problems. Yeah, you know, it's it is interesting. We'll kind of see how uh, Bud adjusts throughout the series. We'll see how Spo adjusts throughout the series. Uh, it's you know, I liked how Milwaukee generally was defending, particularly off ball. They were switching a little bit more, um, but I'm just. Maybe it's just because of the struggles that Milwaukee has had over the past few seasons. I'm just really looking forward to seeing Giannis at the five, and I've always imagined like the like the Bucks hitting their ceiling in Giannis's prime. I just never like I can't picture Brooke Lopez being part of that. It's it's not going to happen frame. with another seven footer on the floor. You're right. Yeah, it's it's strange. I you know. It is also funny because I think that if you, you know, if you somehow missed the playoffs last year, and you came in and looked at these two teams, I, like, I, would people be giving Miami a chance, or like, how much of their, you know, the fact that people are saying the series can go six, seven, et cetera, is coming off what happened last year. Also, I just want to mention him because we haven't yet, but Drew Holiday, who you tweeted about and has long been one of my favorite players in the NBA, especially since that series where he was guarding KD on the Warriors when he was on the Pelicans. He is like a, a total game changer wrecking ball for this Bucks team. True maniac. I love Drew Holiday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like we talk about, I think a lot of the, something that people forget when they see Brook Lopez dropping is the ball, whoever's defending the ball handler, like his responsibility is to fight over the screen and prevent like and to recover and prevent a clean look. And Drew Holiday is basically the best person in NBA history at this job. So I, I think that that is totally a factor when you see the strategies that are being deployed by Bud and having someone who is so fantastic um, bothering shooters and bothering ball handlers at the point of attack as Drew does. I mean, there was that play where he just ripped Goran Dragic and took it the other way in the fourth I, quarter. I couldn't believe Dragic had the game he had he was maybe the Heat's best guy on the floor uh, between him or Duncan, considering how well Drew was defending him whenever they were matched up. He's, like you said, I, I love those guards. I mean, he was picking up guys three-quarters court, half court also. Just the relentless ball pressure. I mean, you know, Toronto had it a little bit with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. Um, it, it, those are my favorite guys to watch. I mean, that's such a high-wire, tightrope act to be as a guard out on an island, you know, picking someone up at half court with that ball pressure, knowing the screen is coming, but him just having the confidence that he's going to fight over it. He, he's going to be such a problem for any team in the East during this entire playoff run. I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm really, really excited to see Drew in a potential series against the Nets, uh, just because I, I think he's going to be... Blasphemous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself. Easy, buddy. Easy. What did I say sorry. about Rob Williams at the top? Come on. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, enough can't be said about Drew, and it's I'm very happy for him that he's playing in these high-level playoff games, and I think his career is just going to have a whole new level of appreciation uh, after some of these Bucks playoff runs, because, yeah, he's just a... People don't really, I think, fully grasp just how difficult it is for a guard to put themselves on the islands that he puts himself on and just thrives over and over again. He doesn't even put himself on the island. He, The other person who has the <laughs> yes. ball is on the island yeah. with him, and they are the ones who are suffering. Um, I think we're go we're definitely gonna we're gonna check back on this series multiple times before it's through. Um, but I want to transition really quick, Rohan, to talk about um, the Clippers. Uh, who I, I it's, it, maybe it's fair to say that that was the biggest upset of the weekend. Clippers, Mavs, Clippers lose in a tight one, and we have this email from Thaddeus, longtime listener, uh, who wrote us this wonderful message. Um, Quote from Thaddeus, uh, as I'm writing this, we are two games into the playoffs and it already feels like the Clippers may have outsmarted themselves. There's a lot of Clippers takes about little brother, losing mentality, and what it says to your team to openly tank out of a playoff spot. I get a lot of that, although it's way overblown. But as a pure value proposition, it feels like they were trying too hard. They used a simple statement, quote, avoid the Lakers, to over over 
to overcomplicate what it takes to win a title. Occam's Razor says the simplest answer is usually the best. If the goal is to win a title, you have to win 16 games and want the easiest path available. They may have, quote, avoided the Lakers, but it's actually much more complicated. And then Thaddeus goes on to write about 9,000 words in this wonderful (laughs) email. And I'm not going to have the time. I'm sorry, Thaddeus, to read it all here. But I I will succinct it all by just asking you, Rohan, are the Clippers actually in trouble, in your opinion, after watching game one? I mean, they're trouble in the sense that they're playing a good team, right? It, it, they were never going to get an easy first-round matchup. And Luka is just one of those players that he was the best player on the floor uh, in game one. He just he outplayed both PG and Kawhi, and, and that's going to happen. And if that happens, uh, these aren't going to be easy wins for the Clippers. So I don't think that they're in trouble in terms of like, oh, they cheated the game and the basketball gods are, are coming to like strike them down with karma for doing so. I don't think they're in trouble because they're a bad team or a weak team or a fragile team, etc. I just think that they have a challenge in front of them. We, we, we have to throw out the seeds here and just look and realize that these are two both good teams. Uh, I think Dallas probably would have finished with a much better record this year if they didn't have um, a ton of COVID issues. Uh, so, you know, are they in trouble? It's not like, ooh, like, you know, the Clippers dropped game one and the wheels are coming off. It's just, no, like this is a, this is a tough series. This is a good matchup and it's going to be a challenge. So I, I, you know, I, I fundamentally agree with what you're saying, but (laughs) would you be, would you be shocked if the Clippers actually lost this series? Like I, no disrespect to Dallas who I have disrespected on this podcast, um, (laughs) ad nauseum (laughs) since the season started, (laughs) Um, but Apologies like, to would Fort you worth, et cetera? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but like, do you like, would you be stunned if the Clippers just went out in the first round against this team? Okay. I would be pretty surprised if the Clippers lost. I, and okay. like, like we both said, no disrespect to Dallas. Um, I've watched Shark Tank, uh, on Hulu several times, <laughs> um, during a quick lunch, you, you want to see a couple pitches, but Yes, I would be at the same time you're right. No, I would be really surprised if the Clippers lost. The Clippers again just had the profile of a great team during the regular season, particularly when everyone was healthy. They seemingly would have the the multiple defenders needed to guard this offense. So, I, you're right. I would be I would be pretty surprised if the Clippers lost. I did pick the Clippers to win. I I just that just felt like a classic game one overreaction email to me in the sense that like the playoffs are a challenge like they're they're not meant to be easy um and you know that doesn't exempt even a team like the Clippers with players as good as Kawhi and PG on it you know to drop some games they were down 2-1 to Dallas last year so uh, my my bigger point is like these things happen in the playoffs uh we saw the Lakers and Bucks both lose both their game ones in the first round last year and then sweep the rest of the way. So, you know, my point is just that these things happen. But, yeah, I I would be surprised if the Clippers lost the round, certainly. So I wrote on the site today about this series, and something that really interested me was just how the Clippers would defend – all the, you know, Luka Doncic, defending Luka Doncic just presents all these different challenges, particularly in the pick and roll. And the Clippers have so many different ways that they can attack him and different schemes that they can execute really well at a high level. They have so much length, so much athleticism, so many great individual pieces to throw at him and to, um, you know, they can switch, they can trap, they can drop, they can... um, recover off of those blitzes uh, really, really well. And they communicate off-ball um, splendidly. And their defensive rating during the regular season when PG and Kawhi was on the floor was like two points better than the first-place Lakers. And in Game 1, when Kawhi and PG were on the court, their defensive Clippers' defensive rating was like 132 or something Ooh. like that. Just like totally outrageous stuff that I don't feel is that sustainable. And, you know, in watching this game, 
I had no issue with anything defensively that the Clippers did, really. And you you texted me. I'm going to out you right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you texted me during the game about um, Ivica Zubats and just, you know, he was getting roasted on switches and the Mavs were hunting him, at him, hunting him down as they should. And that was a situation where it's safe to say that Luca was putting someone on an island. And uh, there were step back threes. There were step backs in the corner. There were like one-legged fallaways from the elbow. These turnarounds that are impossible for anyone else except Luca, and he was just swishing everything. And so you know, you watch those clips, and you're like, okay. If you're the Clippers, you'll you'll live with these shots. They were really difficult. Most of them were contested. I thought Zubats did a pretty good job, just technically, with how he wants to defend Luka, keep him out of the paint, keep him at bay. The jumpers are good. But, like, when the Clippers actually blitzed and were super aggressive with Luka and squeezed the ball from his hands, Dallas's offense was just, like, helpless for stretches. And... I see a lot more of that happening as the series goes on, honestly. Like, Luca scored one point in the fourth quarter of that game, which is kind of a ridiculous stat since he finished no, with 31. And it's it's also funny because sometimes you watch a game like that and you're like, well, this guy's unstoppable. Like, they have no answer for him. And it's like, well, if that were true, like, Luca would never lose a basketball game. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, like people are watching and it's like, well, they there's no, you know, Whatever defensive coverage they throw, like nothing is going to work. Like that's not true. I mean, if if I'm, I'm not saying Luca's not a great player, but like if LeBron James can be slowed down to a degree in the playoffs, like so can Luka Doncic. Like anyone can be slowed down to a degree. I I thought it was a little absurd. Neither Kawhi nor PG were guarding him. Also in the fourth quarter, I know you mentioned he didn't even blow up, but I know, they were guarding him with Rondo and then throwing these traps at him, but. Then Dallas was all of a sudden getting dunks. It was, you know, I. The reason I texted you about Zubac, uh, not even that I was like, you know, trying to pick on him, but something that you wrote about way earlier in the season was the Clippers have the, you know, potential to play five forwards at once, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can go Kawhi, PG, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and Serge Ibaka, which kind of seems like it's this is the perfect lineup to try against this Mavs team uh, because you can either switch everything uh, you have enough athleticism to trap and just kind of recover and scramble I I would just I'm not saying that this it's, it's as simple as this I would just personally like to see Kawhi Leonard one of the all-time great perimeter defenders guarding the other team's best guy in the fourth quarter am I crazy for suggesting that idea I'm not saying that alone is what's going to fix uh, the Clippers defense and, and shut down Luka and I understand that you're asking Kawhi to do a lot offensively. I just was a little bit taken aback that you have these, you know, two of the best, if not the two best and or most respected perimeter defenders in the NBA and for large stretches of the fourth quarter, they're not guarding the other team's best player. You know, I understand that they're trying to do certain things with help defense, etc. I, I just, I thought they were, you know, trying to be a little bit too clever there. Um, one strategy that I think could work for the Clippers if they don't want to be, you know, switching everything, et cetera. Uh, you know, we saw the heat last year in the finals, you know, when LeBron would try to hunt for switches, uh, they'd have the guy he'd want to hunt, you know, hedge a little bit and, and basically have the primary defender, which was in most cases, in most cases, Jimmy Butler kind of scramble back, live mm-hmm. with the threes. I understand, you know, Luca's become a much better shooter over the course of the regular season. But I, I wonder if you have to live with the strategy like that because I don't think the the Mavs offense from game one was sustainable, but they were also getting a lot of easy looks in that fourth quarter uh, when the Clippers were blitzing. Yeah, I mean, you make a couple of really good points there. I think that one of the reasons why you don't put Kawhi on Luka, which they, they did that a little bit, and the Mavs responded basically by just setting a bunch of early screens and forcing um, Kawhi to switch off of Luka so that if you like put him on to start a possession and then all of a sudden he switched off with like 18 seconds on the shot clock it's like okay why did we do that so putting Kawhi on someone like um, Chris Stapps which just like totally neutralizes the Luka um, K 
KP pick and roll, roll which was yeah. devastating throughout the entire season. Like you just switch that, and it just like you, you you they they have to go away from it and can't go to it because Kawhi would just switch on to Luca, and that defeats the whole purpose. Um, so I think that 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 probably played into the calculus a little bit. And Kristaps got free a couple times on some slips, and got a couple dunks in the fourth, which were good. But like. Tim Hardaway Jr. hit some shots that were just out of his mind shots. Like Dorian Finney-Smith hit a couple open threes that were non-corner, and he'll hit those sometimes. But if you're the Clippers, you love that. Like you don't. I would much rather have Dorian Finney-Smith either taking a contested non-corner three or you know having to beat Reggie Jackson off the dribble with six seconds on the shot clock. Like that is, and and those were situations that the Clippers were able to put the Mavs in because of how aggressive they were with Luca late. So that's just something I'm looking forward to kind of going forward. And I, I would be stunned considering I picked the Clippers to win the NBA championship if oh, they were to okay. lose in this series. Um, I, I love uh, everything about this team and uh, I just think that's okay. Okay. Absolutely. Everything, <laughs> every inch, every nook, every cranny. Um, but, but like sometimes, in the NBA, like, yeah, it's hard to win games, sure. And sometimes teams just get ridiculously hot in a 48-minute stretch, which I think is what happened in game one um, to the Clippers. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Okay, uh, now an email from uh, our good friend Colin B. Um, Colin writes in, uh, As a Portland State University alumni, I have to ask a question about my Blazers. What do you think of this series from a matchup standpoint? I know a lot of Blazers fans wanted the Nuggets, but I am personally terrified of Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., It has been quite a wild season for the Blazers, but this recent stretch with the addition of Norm Powell has me very optimistic for the future. Personally, I think the Blazers should be okay with Jokic getting his, and they should try to shut down Porter. I want to know what you guys think the Blazers need to do to pull this series off. And so thank you, Colin, for that question. It was wonderful. Uh, Rohan. You picked the Nuggets in this series, and I believe everyone except me, who works for SI, wow. picked the Convenient Nuggets in this series. Convenient for you series. to bring up this I know. email Colin B. Okay. <laughs> Colin B., alias yeah, Michael yeah. Pina. Um, do you still feel great uh, about picking the Nuggets? And kind of can you, can you actually like explain why you did? Because I was I was actually a little surprised that so many people were siding with Denver in this one. 
Honestly, this was the series I, I had the least feel for, and I never felt great about picking the Nuggets. I would say I was a little bit, you know, hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray <laughs> by just how well the Nuggets finished down the stretch. I, I mean, I was like pretty out on the Nuggets after the Jamal injury and was shocked about the run they went on. You know, MPJ was playing out of his mind. They were not merely surviving, but even thriving during Faku Compazzo minutes. The Faku Compazzo roller coaster <laughs> like just really needs to be its own documentary one day. Yes. Where this guy was just getting killed in bench lineups earlier in the year. Now they're like, yep, go guard Dame Lillard. It's absurd. Um, no, I mean, I never felt great about it. I think really what I landed on was Jokic has been playing so well. He's obviously the MVP. I, this just felt like a series that maybe he could gut out somehow. You know, game one, I also think that there are you know elements that the Nuggets played well. And obviously they're going to need to figure out something else on Dame. You know, it's really a shame. Marcus Howard playing minutes. It's not even that he played poorly, but even if they had one of PJ Dozier or Will Barton, let alone both, I mean, if they just had one of those guys, I think this that makes a huge difference in this series just to buy them some more competitive defensive minutes on one of Portland's guards. But MPJ, while he shot great from the field, I believe he made only one three. He's been one of the better three-point shooters in the league this year. So I do think there are, you know, Areas where the Nuggets can say, okay, we're not going to do this poorly again, etc. But honestly, I never felt great about this series. I I think, honestly, the explanation for my pick was uh, it it didn't feel like a toss-up, but I'm just going to go with the MVP because I do think Jokic uh, can steal them a couple games in this series. Uh, The the Nuggets, though, they did just look – they had a weird flatness to them in game one. Yeah, I I think – you know, I I picked – Portland for a variety of reasons, but it really hit me when I was watching game one and I saw Austin Rivers and Faku on the court at the same time. And I was just like, (laughs) you know, this is a really bad matchup for Denver. Like Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, um, Norm Powell, Anthony Simons, just like bombing away, suddenly just becoming this this um, trusted piece in Terry Stotts' rotation. A huge development, I think. Like, I don't know. I, I, I look at that and I understand um, how dominant Jokic is. But, like, you put Nurk on him. You don't help off the shooters. You stick like glue to to all the cutters and how they like to 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 function on offense with Jokic kind of just dictating action. And I mean, it was I don't know what Denver does to kind of combat this because defensively they were just picking on Jokic in the pick and roll over and over and over again. And Dame just I mean, it was it was torture. Just it's really a bad matchup for him and it's a bad matchup for Denver. Because you can't take Jokic out of the game. He's obviously way more too, too valuable for you on the offensive end. And something that I noticed that, you know, the, the Blazers um, did a little bit towards the end of the season, but not so much, is, you know, like Dame plays the entire first quarter of every game. And usually, you know, you get into the second quarter and that's just like an opportunity to exhale if you're the opponent obviously you, know, you spent this 12 minutes covering this guy who's just like mm-hmm. pulling up from 35 feet and now with terry Stotts' new rotation like they have anthony simons uh norm powell cg mccollum carmelo anthony and ennis Cantor starting second quarters and that group it's like that is a murderer's row offensively yeah. i don't know how you defend that five-man unit and it's supposed to be this reprieve because dame is resting and you just don't get that opportunity. Now, defensively, that group is, um, to be kind, atrocious um, individually. <laughs> There's just a lot of, lot of warts there the that nets. can be attacked. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes exactly. Yeah. But I think defending them, like, there's just no time to take a breath with this Portland team. And Dame's going to play a ton of minutes. And CJ's rounding into form. And Norm Powell is Norm Powell. Really good, playing for a new contract. I just I love the way they penetrated. I love the way they were unselfish in game one. They had an unusually high assist rate, and it showed um, on the floor when you were watching just a ton of open spot up threes. Like I don't want to say that this series is over, but I also was pretty confident when I picked the Blazers, and I was just surprised that so many went against them. No, you're right, and 
it is funny because I think a couple years ago when they had the seven game series, you know, and that was Jokic's first playoff run. That was a series that I was most interested in watching play because I was like, how is he going to survive against a guy like Dame? And he actually held up pretty well in that series. And I think has held up well enough defensively since then, you know, where the Nuggets start to run into a problem is, you know, without Murray, they can't get into basically what's been their fourth quarter offense, you know, during the last few playoffs, which is let's just keep running Murray Jokic pick and rolls until the wheels fall off and they have to adjust to that. Uh, beyond that, how about Michael Malone calling out Michael Porter Jr.? <laughs> that was so. First of all, shout out to Coach Malone, who for years now has been given the only coach trying during in quarter interviews, like the only one taking this seriously. Like the TV partners have to love this guy, like they should retire his suit or something. The the way he gives these <laughs> eloquent answers during his in-quarter interviews. It's like, buddy, you don't need to try this hard, okay? Nobody else is. But even he was like, yeah, you know, Dame's, Dame's trying to get Michael Porter Jr. on the switch. Like, every yeah. time down the floor, we got to see what we're doing about that. It's like, I don't remember the last time a coach singled out a player as someone who's getting targeted on defense during their in-quarter interview. And I think that's where the Nuggets are running into a huge problem. Um, and one that we, I think, have also always wondered is, you know, what about MPJ defensively in the playoffs? When you throw in the fact, like you said, that there's going to be minutes where Austin Rivers and Fagu Campazzo are sharing the floor, you know, will the Nuggets basically have enough defenders to hold up during the series? I, I'm not sure. And, I, you know, I, I'm not surprised that you picked the Blazers. I, I wouldn't have been like this one was, I think, definitely the hardest series for me to pick. You know, I do think that the Nuggets have always responded uh, to playoff losses under uh, Malone. So now I'm just like so nervous to say his name. Like, oh, my God, if I call him Mike, uh, he's going to find me. But <laughs> I, I, I I, would be surprised if it wasn't a series only because whether it was Murray going down or, you know, the crazy playoff series they've had the last couple of years, for what it's worth, the Nuggets do seem to to find a way to respond in these series. Yeah, I just try to separate the regular season from the playoffs in like very dramatically in my brain and really just try to stick to what matchups are in front because yes, the Nuggets looked really good after Jamal went down, which I don't think a lot of people expected. But this regular season was just so weird, man. Like oh, if you no really oh. like if you don't really get wanted me to go started on this regular season <laughs> and what it means for some playoff teams. <laughs> I mean, no, like if you were to go back and just look and see, okay, who was available that the Nuggets played? Like you can't just look at the teams, you got to no, see you're who right. was actually playing, who was out Which because of teams health and safety in the protocols. East had 9 months off before the playoffs mm-hmm. started. Uh, or before the season started rather yeah yeah, no 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 there's a lot to discuss about the regular season for sure no you're right you're right I think this year especially you were going to see a stark difference I think teams are going to be trying in a way defensively they were not during the regular season so I I think that's a fair point that's definitely a fair point where I think this year more than ever these series are going to be you know really really matchup dependent okay so we have this email from Joel um who writes in about the uh, the Grizzlies Jazz Series, which is very spicy all of a sudden. Um, so Jill writes, quote, is it, it is weird to me that no sports writers or commentators leading up to this series seem to wonder if Donovan Mitchell would actually be back. He's been out over a month, and unless he just magically happened or happens to be 100% as the series starts, it's my guess that even if he comes back at some point, it won't be a full tilt version of him for a number of games. I'm picking the Grizzlies in seven, so oh which of gosh. you two will be bold and predict a Grizzlies seven-game win? And, and Joel wanted me to read that question in Ben Golliver's voice, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to throw it to you, Rohan, and you you take it away. Well, first of all, I just want to say people, when they pick the underdog to win in seven games— like love to forget that like the Grizzlies are almost definitely not winning a road game seven. I love the Grizzlies, but teams don't win road game sevens. I just want to throw that out there. It happens very rarely. The 2016 Cavs, a notable exception, but like if you're going to pick an upset uh, for an underdog, just do it in six games. That's just for future reference. 
the Donovan Mitchell thing is weird. I I do think that we all kind of glossed over that, but also, you know, today apparently he's upset that the team held him out. This ESPN story is like they're gonna get Dwayne Wade in there to smooth it over. I was like not expecting Dwayne Wade's name to pop up this early in a playoff series in 2021. Mm-hmm. I, it's I I think he's gonna be fine. I think the reason none of us were concerned about it is because the Jazz had every reason to be overly cautious. Uh, with a number one seed, why bring him back? Like you said, during this weird regular season, etc. I don't know that I'm gonna gonna pick the Grizzlies. I think the obvious thing we can talk about from game one is: Will the Jazz miss that many threes again in in this series, or is there something we said about some people never really had confidence in their shooters and said, "Wait until the playoffs when teams are trying a little bit harder." or just ignoring certain guys. Uh, what's that going to do to them? They missed shots that they were making during the regular season. So, you know, I think that is maybe where you are slightly raising an eyebrow at Utah. But this was a really close game. Uh, the Jazz were playing really well when Gobert didn't have uh, foul trouble. So mm-hmm. I, I don't I, – I really like Memphis. I feel like – you know, it's easy to keep underestimating them, and I don't want to be the guy that's like, but the Jazz are definitely winning this series. But similar to the Clippers-Mavs, I'd be pretty surprised if the Jazz lost. I don't think that there's anyone more unstoppable in the entire NBA right now than Dylan Brooks. So I just want to get that on the record. <laughs> his His surges, when he's just like... You know, he'll it's hit some chaos. ridiculous yes. contested jump shot, and then... Uh, he'll blow by his man. He did that like um, reverse between the legs, getting downhill and one layup. Uh, like he is, dude. He's just like spinning out of nowhere. Like he just comes in like Captain Marvel at the event end of Avengers Endgame, just like you know flying through spaceships and stuff. He doesn't care. It's awesome. He's always jumping. I feel like he spends half the time he's on the court in the air. Like offensive rebounds, he's higher than everybody else at all times. He's awesome. He is so good. Um, the surges uh, that he goes on are just incredible. I, I guess, like I to just answer this question, I I just assumed Donovan would play. I mean, it's the yeah. playoffs. He's been out for right. a really long time. It's a sprained ankle. He was practicing. He seemed to be coming along. I mean, he, he was a shoot around. Yeah, he I, was I, like seemingly cleared to play as early as like you know, yesterday morning. So something weird happened there, but yes, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just like my, my personal feelings. I Donovan Mitchell is a, is a all time competitor and I, I wouldn't, it's understandable that he is upset that the team um, kept him out. And I think it's really interesting when you just look at how that game unfolded and it, it like doesn't even seem like, in upset to me because the Grizzlies up like the healthy Grizzlies versus the jazz without their best player is pretty evenly matched, I would say. So I'm not like, and we, you know, we're talking about Dylan Brooks, like Dylan Brooks would have been guarding Donovan Mitchell. That is exhausting. So Dylan Brooks is not scoring 31 or however many points he did. If Donovan Mitchell is in that game and he drawing, he's drawing the, um, primary defensive assignment, and he's shadowing him like he did Steph Curry in that play-in game. Like that's just, it's just not going to happen. So I think as soon as Donovan comes back, things will will kind of straighten. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jazz won in five. To be honest, like I think playing in Memphis will be a really difficult atmosphere, and that team is super young and super confident. But game one just seemed like it just it's it seemed very obvious to me why. Um, Memphis won. It was because the other team's best player, arguably, I would say Donovan is their best player, um, <laughs> wasn't available. That's just how I, I kind of yeah, read it. I, I agree. And, it, you know, also, you know, I touched on the shooting. I, I'm loath to agree with Charles Barkley in most instances. But there is also <laughs> something you said if Donovan was playing in that game or if Donovan is playing in game two and the shots still aren't falling. He's the kind of guy who can collapse the defense and or get to the rim, score at the rim, etc. Kind of help stop the bleeding in those moments when none of the outside shots are falling. Can we talk about Gobert for a second, though? Of course. The flop. 
in terms of just like most embarrassing things you've ever seen on NBA court, where did that rank for you? Um, let me just set the scene. He had fouled out. <laughs> he went to go mean mug someone while he was waiting, you know, in the bench area after falling out. The person he's mean mugging clearly could not care less that he's being mean mugged by Rudy Gobert. Like, just like, get out of my face, man. Like, you're not even involved in this anymore. And he just, you know, takes like an SNL-esque dive to the ground. You really don't like Rudy Gobert. Let's just let's just put it on the table <laughs> right now. I just, it's not that I, I dislike him, have anything against him personally, etc. It's more so that it's like, Certain people are trying so hard to sell you on the idea of Rudy Gobert that I'm like, let's just relax. Like, like, why are you sh- like shoving this Rudy Gobert propaganda in my face all the time? It's like, it's kind of just like a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, they're like, people don't like Rudy Gobert. So we're going to be really, really aggressive in telling you how good he is. But then that is, in fact, what is making people not like Rudy Gobert. So you're not a big screen assist guy, I take it? I'm not a huge screen assist guy, unless it's Bam. Unless we're talking about a way to give hype up Bam's game even more. Then I'm a huge screen assist guy. But, you know, Hassan Whiteside, I bet he piled up a lot of screen assists. Um, Yeah, I I mean, oh, geez, you're going to, (laughs) that's, I don't think we're going to get a lot of friendly emails to that comment. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just real quickly, like, go to bat for Rudy. I mean, he's, I think he's really good. Uh, I don't think he played particularly well. (laughs) I don't think he played particularly well in game one. Fouling out is not what you want. Um, but like there was that one play where, where Ja Morant tried to challenge him at the rim and Ja is just like levitating in midair and <laughs> like doing crazy things up, with the yeah. ball. Yeah, Gobert, like the timing, I think that there is a really underrated quality to be able to time your jump to locate the ball with your he, hands listen, and to block it. He is good. He is good. He's obviously very impactful. He's the reason they've had a great defense for so long. The flop was just embarrassing. The flop was just embarrassing. Okay, Rohan, um, do you have anything more to say about anything other disparaging comments um, about the Utah Jazz, the fan base, um, their (laughs) franchise players? No, I don't. You want to get off your chest before we wrap this up? I think obviously starting with Dwayne at the top, it's a very classy organization. Um, (laughs) You know, embellishing contact is something Dwayne Wade would never do, and I'm sure he's going to have a conversation. Uh, with Rudy about it and get that cleaned up before game two. So Wonderful. All right, Rohan. <laughs> I, I think that does it for today's show. Um, I want to thank real quickly the Open Floor Globe for listening in and um, sending all those wonderful emails. I, you know, w- when you are typing through fury please remember that I was not the one who was bad mouthing um, the Utah Jazz. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I that forgot that. Utah Jazz I forgot that open floor is very popular in Utah. Listen, <laughs> Utah, I'm I'm dying to come visit and check out the national parks, um, etc. I, you know, I I just want to see Rudy. Uh, you know, keep that stuff on the court uh, where he's a great player, and you know, chill with the. I fouled out. Let me try to draw a tech uh, flops. That's it. That's all I'm saying. It's clearly too late for apologies. Uh, <laughs> listeners, please email the show with any and every question you can possibly think of. Hit us up at openfloormail at gmail.com. That is openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, until later this week when I will be joined by Chris. Um, everyone stay safe and continue to enjoy watching the NBA playoffs. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... 
right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. 500 dollars minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win photo finishes ryan blaney will win the voice of nascar the motor racing network Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.